0: There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the
1: other way who nods at them and says, Morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, What the hell is water? I'm Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Your Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us.
0: Well, I don't know about an antidote, but uh, I had a very nice couple that was here yesterday to see the tribute to... Um, Willie I can't think of his name right now, but uh, I could see that they were big fans of him, And they were kind of didn't have a wristband didn't have a ticket or anything. They came down to the seating bowl after it was open and everything and I tried to Assist them, but I couldn't so they went off and I saw her It was a couple I walked uh about three people after them they came up and one of the people that are a member of the jazz they gave me an extra two tickets and first thing I came to my mind was like wow where's that couple that I just seen and I saw them sitting over there and I went over there and she kind of was like not special like something's wrong with her but she was you could tell that she was really excited to be out here so she was sitting down and I was like where's your husband she says well he's trying to find a seat so I gave her the two tickets and I said as soon as your husband comes back just tell him to come and see me and she kind of looked up with me with kind of a smile on her face or something so the husband came back I saw her talking to the husband to say yeah we got these tickets and so I made eye contact with him so I gave the high sign to come on down and I found them perfect seats right in the center and and they were just so happy and I would walk by the guy gave me a thumbs up and and things like that and then as soon as the uh the uh tribute was over, they came out. They was like, you know, thank you so much. Uh, We can't stay long, but we're big fans of them. And that kind of made me feel real good that, because I was able to put a smile on somebody's face.
1: And that was just cool to me. And that was Sharon Summers. Welcome back. This is Peculiar Journeys, episode 50 of Millennium Park Stories. Sharon was a 63-year-old woman who is a returning usher she was she was a character, as you can tell, and there's some there'll be some more of her uh, as we go. but Sharon was one of those uh, every usher has a different reason, I think, for being an usher at Millennium Park. Uh, some ushers are just need the money, you know they just need the cash, some love the Grant Park Music Festival and love all of that sort of that environment and being a part of that. Uh, Some, like Marlena Carlson, you'll hear about her, you'll hear from her uh, in a couple episodes, uh, just really loves the idea of sort of connecting with uh, a huge amount of communities and lots of populations and sort of helping people out. Sharon, uh, this was sort of her social life. It was a part of her social life. She retired and uh, she loved to go to lots of concerts all over the city. That was one of her big things, was going to concerts all over the city. And uh, this was an opportunity for her to do that. She was uh, a little petulant sometimes, but one of the coolest ones. just, she was just a, a breath of fresh air. She was always fun. She didn't always do what she was told to do. She didn't, she always tried to find a way to get away from her position and just socialize with other ushers or herself or other people, herself, whatever, um, that was sort of Sharon's gig. So I want to talk today a little bit about working with 50-plus ushers, Um, and what I discovered over the course of this summer was that my experience as a 7th and 8th grade music teacher actually came into play, because dealing with this many people and this many personalities, uh, very much like dealing with a, a classroom full of eighth graders. Uh, some of the eighth graders are self-motivated. Some of them are they real? They need to. It needs to be made fun for them. Um, it, it's not. It, I guess from a managing standpoint, it's not just as simple as saying you're getting paid, so you do what I tell you to do, and do it the way I want you to tell. You, I want you to do it. That's. That's just not very effective. And if you've ever worked a job for a manager that does that, you understand that that's just not a very effective thing. And so my goal was to make it as fun and as focused as possible. That was kind of my goal. Now, in Grant, in, in for the Grand Park Music Festival shows um, and for the DK shows in the Millennium Park, the, it's such a huge area to have to manage there are two things that we have going on in the park to kind of mitigate all of that experience. Number one are positions. Um, beginning of the year, and Joe Fernicola, who was the uh, patron services manager, he's the guy he was my direct boss. Um, they had sort of a system, and they always had, you know, they, they, he, they over over nine years, he and other house managers had developed sort of a system to kind of keep things in in play and. Part of that were some very strict positions that ushers had. So for the Grant Park Music Festival, there were anywhere from 25 to 30 positions, which meant we had 25 to, actually 25 to 35 ushers at any given time during those Concerts. I always felt like that was a little bit of overkill, but I understood because for the Grant Park Music Festival, what they were trying to create was sort of a. It was more about the, like a like a a, a premiere, a, a premium experience, and seeing all the ushers wearing their their purple uh, Grant Park Music Festival shirts, which are actually pretty nice shirts um, in uniform. It made. Their patrons feel like there was this huge staff, and they felt very. It was just. It was more about the visibility of the staff than it was actually what they were doing. And uh, there were, in uh, the positions, were like, okay, you need, you need in the seating bowl, you would have, uh, you know. the— Positions in the aisles all the aisles and we would have program racks where they would hand out program racks and then you'd have them on the ramp So when people entered they could check off with their scanners and then you would have people in the on the top of the ramp which if you're familiar with millennium park there's that huge uh apron and that's that's the large concrete sort of uh separator between the seating bowl and the lawn and then right before you get to the lawn there are the steps you also have uh positions over by the north promenade tent where they would have for grant park music festivals prior to the concert they would have sort of talk you know, talkbacks, they would have, like, uh, uh, presentations for those interested in hearing about it. You also had the impresario tent, which was a tent where all the VIPs could come and get some alcohol and some uh, hors d'oeuvres and kind of just hang out, hoi kind of, you know, rub elbows and that kind of stuff. So you'd have ushers that would be positioned there. Um, you had the patron service tent, which was uh, at the top of the west side of the pavilion, and that was basically where people, if they had uh, VIP tickets or they had issues or they needed listening devices or any of that kind of stuff, you always had to have someone there sort of staffing the patron service desk. During the case, uh, that that was where all the VIPs got their wristbands. It was also where the press people would come, all that kind of stuff. So there were a lot of positions with the security Coming in, and this was a brand new thing with the security coming in. We had all these security positions because every entrance to the park would have two tents—a go tent and, a, and, a, and a, an entrance tent and an exit tent—and they were red and green, obviously. And they, that's where the new security protocols would be in place, where they would check bags and they would wand people um, for uh, weapons fire, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever was not. And then sometimes alcohol, depending on the, the, the size of the event. And so I had to position ushers to be there mostly because the uh, the the security guards were not there to be pleasant necessarily they had a very specific job to do and so i would have ushers go and spend a little time just sort of mitigating the line talking to people making sure they understood to have their bags out that this was the new protocol and 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 just kind of calm everybody down because it was very different and What I discovered—well, I knew this—but people don't like change, uh, especially if they've done something the same way every year after year. They don't want to have to change. But uh, for the most part, it went very well. The second thing that we needed—that that that really kind of helped things go along—was again a huge part was radios. We would have—we all had radios, and we were front of house was Channel One. And they were terrible radios. I mean, these were just really not very... They were analog radios. They were not digital. They were not very good radios, but they were what we had. And uh, we would give out little earpieces for people. Then you'd connect it to the thing, stick it in your ear, and you'd wear it, and you'd turn it on. And uh, the radios were there to make sure that if somebody needed something, then um, we could take care of it. If if I needed to, like there at some point during most of the Grant Park Music Festival concerts, I would have them put away all the sort of like signs that say here's the entrance and the stanchions that were sort of separating that out so people could get in line nicely. We'd remove those, put those behind the bowl because they were no longer necessary and that kind of stuff. Um, It would also allow me to talk to them about uh, if if there was a break coming up, if there was an intermission, if they needed to go do surveys, that kind of thing. So that was kind of the thing that we had to do. The first time we had our usher training, and I never felt like our usher training. We had two sessions for our usher training. And the first session, the Grant Park Music Festival staff came in and really talked up the Grant Park Music Festival. That's what they did. They talked about the Grant Park Music Festival. They talked about the history of it. They talked about the the programs that were coming up. And for a lot of the returning ushers that came in, they were specifically Grant Park Music Festival folks. That's what they loved. This was great for them, this is what they expected. For new ushers, not so much. If you were not uh, into classical music, it it, it depended on the kind of person, the kind of usher, why you were there. If you were there just to get the money, it was just something you had to sit through. If you were there because you love classical music, then it was something that was very interesting. If you were somewhere in between, whatever it happened to be, there was always something a little bit different. But one of the things that I had to do was I had to make sure that not only I knew the positions and what they had to do with the positions Um, And some of them were very, very specific. Uh, For Grant Park Music Festival, when you were in the bowl, you sat down during the concert. You stood at certain times in between. There was no late seating. The, The late seating had to be when music wasn't playing. They did not want to allow anybody to walk through the transverse aisle in between the seats during music being played. So it was very much like a symphony orchestra sort of feel. And so there's that sort of Now, on the DK side, the positions were all different. And at first, I started with the positions as the same because I didn't know what we were going to get into. But as the summer went on, I realized that there were some very different issues that we had to deal with when it came to, like, blues fest or mariachi fest or house music fest. And so we had to change up those positions a little bit. And I created a, a number of positions and just was constantly experimenting. So that very first usher training was about getting everybody to understand first of all how big the park was um understanding how to work their radios understanding that when they had a program rack here's how you fill the program rack here's how you set things out here's where the programs go this is sort of the protocol this is where you set a program rack in the park so that it is you know visible and this kind of thing Everybody had to learn how to patron services worked. Everybody had to learn how to call on the radio and get what they needed when they were in there. And so really, we only had um, effectively one three-hour session to get 50 ushers up to speed on this sort of experience. And that was uh, not always, it, it didn't really, there wasn't really any way for me to address many of the things that you might run into uh, when dealing with thousands of people in a giant park and a concert venue.
0: Well, the only conflict that I've had out here, because most of the patrons are just A-plus, but there's this couple that comes down here for the classical music. Um, Her husband came up to come into the ball and he says, uh, Let's play a trick on my wife. And when she gets up here, tell her that she can't come in. So I'm upbeat. I've got a great personality. I'm all about having fun. So as soon as his wife came up there, I said, uh, Hi, excuse me, your h- husband says you can't come in the mall. She looks at me and turned around and said, Well, fuck you then. And I was like, Excuse me. <laughs> I was like Excuse me So she went on And walked away So You know I was felt like You know The joke was with you And your husband So I went over there And I was like Excuse me ma'am Um I didn't mean you couldn't come in. I was playing a joke with your husband, and that type of language was so uncalled for. I never did get an apology, but that was the only crazy thing. You know, she turns around and s- swears at me, and I'm like, dude, these are free seats. <laughs> I call them all my fearless leader, <laughs> Donald. And I'm like, Don. <laughs> I said, Don, there's this lady over here. You know, she swears at me. And um I, I was like, Don, she said, oh, fuck you, nigger. Are you going to put her out? And so, like, Don says, did she really say that? Because if she said that, she's out here. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And you turn around and said, no, she didn't, Sharon. But I was like, no, she didn't, <laughs> <laughs> but that's been the only disrespectful thing out here but otherwise it's so cool down here. This is my second uh, year here um and Don he is just so cool and I'm not saying that because he's interviewing As me record right you. <laughs> recording me now but if you know Don you know how he is. He's up, he's upbeat and um We all have a new saying now. And what is that? Rock on!
1: (laughs) In dealing with 50 ushers, plus ushers, you deal with a lot of personalities. And I loved for the most part, I loved all my ushers. They were they were all very different. They were all had different agendas. They all did different styles, which when you have that many, is it's you have to find certain like we talked about the positions, certain people were good at certain positions and certain people were terrible at certain positions. Um, Sharon, who we're we're hearing from, Sharon was very social and Sharon, she was not lazy. She worked hard, but kind of on her own terms. She was not as uh, concerned about what I needed from her as much as what she wanted to do. And so we would frequently, I would place her in a position where there wouldn't be a lot of people. You know, mainly because I knew that if she was doing something where there weren't lots of people, there was not a lot of socialization, she might actually get her job done. But problem was, that's not what she wanted. She wanted to be among people. She wanted to be around people so that she could not do her job and just talk. And so we had to have, there was a negotiation that she and I had to have on a regular basis. But she and I got along very well. Um... On the flip side, you have like Joe Fournier. Joe Fournier has uh, he he's a, a a really tall, iconic guy. And when I met him, when I hired him, I wondered because he was so quiet and he was so unassuming and just kind of he wasn't he was kind of low energy, and I wondered if he was going to be able to, to handle the job. But he had a prior ushering experience and uh, had great great resume, and he seemed like a nice enough guy. Well, Joe turned out to be one of the best ushers that I had, primarily because nothing fazed this guy. He was very focused. He was proactive, um, but very quiet. And, uh, you know, he was the kind of guy, you know, I, and I got to admit, there's a part of me that it's like, when you, when, you, when you show me sort of a sense of what I often, and this is just who I am, I often see as a bit precious in your own self-care, um, Joe was uh, one of the first people if it got a little chilly in the park he wanted to make sure he had one of the park uh, fleeces on when it got sunny and it was really hot he would, he would be the first person to say I need an umbrella to kind of you know, shield myself from the sun and my reaction to those kind of things is generally I mean, I'm always like, okay, yeah, absolutely but my, internally I'm like, oh, Jesus really? you know, can't you just stand in the sun? which is just sort of macho bullshit, I guess because it turned out, Joe, while he was the type that was very focused on making sure that he was taken care of, he always was the one to do extra work. He would always step in and help other ushers. He was just one of those guys. And so I never had a problem with Joe. In fact, he, he worked till the very end of the summer. He probably did more shifts and got more hours because he was a worker bee. That's what I liked, you know, Joe, that was Joe. You have Ariel. Ariel was young, she was in college. Um, Ariel and it was very funny because Ariel's very politically minded she is very woke. Um, unfortunately she's also very strident about being woke and had a lot of issues She had a lot of she was mixed heritage her father I believe her father was white and her mother was black and Cuban and so she was mixed and she just got pissed at anybody that what you know she was just very focused on microaggressions and she would lecture, frequently find herself lecturing patrons about you know, asking her where she's from or what heritage she is or she was very focused on men being very dismissive of her. Um, and so she was always kind of this raw nerve. And it took a long time because a lot of the ushers didn't want to work with her because she would get into these long political discussions and they were not interested in having long political discussions when they were out in the park doing their job I mean some people did but most for the most part they just were not interested in being lectured at one point I remember and this is a Sharon Ariel story um, Ariel had pet rabbits and she was talking about her pet rabbits and Sharon was talking about something and I came over to see what was going on they were both working uh, in the same position out of the lawn and you know, somehow we got to talking, and I mentioned that my sister used to have a pet rabbit, and she didn't know what to do with it. She probably shouldn't have had the pet rabbit because she was so young. And she ended up, uh, she would say, my buns, she called, the, the, the rabbit was named Buns, And she would say, my buns can talk. And she would take the rabbit, and she would squeeze the rabbit hard enough that the rabbit would go, Ehh. That was, you know, and it was just a kid, basically torturing a rabbit. You know, And Sharon and I laughed about it, but Ariel did not laugh about it. And she went on a 10-minute screed about proper care of animals and on and on and on. And it just rubbed Sharon the wrong way. And they got into a fight, and I had to separate them, like I said, a little bit like eighth graders. Um, What I discovered later on about Ariel, because I liked Ariel. I actually liked her quite a bit. Um, she was an excellent usher, she did her job, she was always focused. She preferred, unlike Sharon, she preferred to be as far away from a lot of interaction of people as possible. And so after, as the time went on, I just found positions for her to be on. And, uh, and that was one of those uh, experiences, is finding those, those kinds of different like positions. It was very, very much like uh, casting a show in some ways.
0: Well, I can agree with Jake. Yeah, we are more than ushers, but uh, when they ask, is there some place uh, to get something to eat or what would you recommend? So, again, you know, we're not ushers. We're like, uh, where's the best restaurants to go to? Uh, what about the nightlife? Uh, where's so-and-so? so and so? So, our ushering job goes way beyond that we're kind of like a a tour guide if these people are not from Chicago because we're here to Chicago we kind of know things so it really goes beyond uh, just saying may I have your ticket or something like that we're the information uh, network when they come down here
1: We also had Femi. Femi was 22 years old, young black kid. He wanted to be in. He wanted to be in law enforcement. Uh, Great kid, super cool kid. Very quiet at first and not very aggressive. But uh, what I really liked about Femi is Femi was the phone kid. He always wanted to be kind of staring at his phone, and so I had to bark at him once in a while. was like you know, put your phone away. But the way I barked at is, I just give him shit because I knew that yelling at Femi was not the way to get to him and dressing him down was not the way. Some people like that, some people that worked for, not going to work for him. So I would give him a hard time about it and we'd laugh about it and then, you know, he'd do his job. And uh, I remember uh, once Femi, because Femi was not the most aggressive. We were at a, one of the things at DK's concerts we had to do was we had to keep the aisles clear of people dancing Um, because when the aisles got really, really packed, it got dangerous if if we had to evacuate or if there was a problem or it, it was just a physical hazard. So we would have to keep the aisles clear. And one of the things that they told me at the beginning of the summer, that's one of the things you need to do is make sure you keep those aisles clear. But nobody had a suggestion on how to do that. And I would ask, well, how have you done this in the past? And no one had a suggestion, you know, because when people want to dance, they get out of their seats and they dance. So how do you do that without just constantly yelling at people? Because that ruins the concert-going experience. And so, I mean, even the Chicago Police Department, I talked to some of our, our uh, off-duty officers, and their big suggestion was give our ushers tasers, which I thought, no, that's, that's a really, yes, that's a cop answer, but no, nah, that's a terrible idea. So it was about them, and I also realized Femi was a perfect example, not very aggressive. And so one night, we're standing there, and there's a concert going on, and there's a bunch of basically teenage girls, and they are mashed up against stage, or are filling up the aisles. So I said, Femi, they can't be in the aisles. Go, go get them cleared out. And he just looks at me with panic in his eyes. I said, go. And so he walks down there, and you can see him talk to him a little bit, and they completely ignored him. And then he starts coming back and I get on the radio and I said, no, go. You have to be very gentle. You have to be very direct and you say it over and over and over until they move. And he just kind of, his shoulders slumped down and he went down there to these girls and he just stood there and he just did exactly what I said. He just kept saying, you're going to have to take your seats. Please take your seats. You're going to have to take your seats. Please take your seats. And eventually... Because I wouldn't let him get out of it. They all went and sat down. And he came over and he goes, yeah, I hated that. I said, but that's how you do it, Femi. You just have to say it over and over. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to get loud. For the most part, people aren't here to say, let's fuck with the ushers. They're here to enjoy a concert. And you're here to make sure everybody's safe and that everybody's having a good time. So yelling at them and barking rules at them is probably not the way to go. And if it gets to that point where you need somebody to come in and bark rules, then I'll step in because I'm actually quite good at that. We had Kenyatta. Kenyatta was one of my best ushers beginning of the summer. And then over the summer, she got lazier and lazier. And because she was such a good usher and because she was very popular among the rest of the ushers and people in the park liked her, she started just finding less and less and just, she just became one of the worst ushers because she just, she'd have her phone out, she didn't care, and I don't know what happened and I would try to check in with her. But, you know, eventually I stopped shifting her because she just wasn't doing the job. I mean, we, it, it, I just think the personalities were fascinating. Um, You had uh, Mike Vopenek, who was a young guy, getting ready, he was in college, I think he was a junior in college. (laughs) Extremely quiet, really cool kid, really nice and always he was the first one to do the hard stuff he was the guy that would do the heavy lifting with me he was always there to to pick things up he never let anything he was never late to his shift I mean he was just one of those kids You now it turned out that his dad Mike who he was named after was one of the electricians at Pritzker and I loved Mike and Scotty those guys were just super guys super super and so giving him shit, giving Mike Jr. shit, and then letting his dad know it, oh, we just would laugh about that. But Mike was a great guy. And then you had Ramona. Ramona was older. Um, she was, she she ushers for the Lyric Opera, for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and for for Millennium Park. And she did not take anybody's bullshit. She was focused, She and she didn't bark. She did not take shit from anyone and was a little abrasive sometimes, but she was excellent. She knew how to do her job, um, and I loved Ramona. Ramona, however, was always late, I don't think she ever came on time, and that was just one of the things that uh, we ran into with my ushers at the park. They were just wonderful people, but everybody had something a little bit different that you had to kind of acknowledge, and adjust to. And I remember when I was a, a, a music teacher, when I was a public school teacher, that one of the things that I remember from you know my teacher college was that every child learns slightly differently, and some kids learn from reading, and some kids learn from lectures, and some kids learn from doing, um, and some kids learn from teaching other kids. And to be a really effective teacher for a classroom of 30, you've got to really recognize all of those learning styles and try to make sure that you kind of cast your positions so that each child is successful in that learning environment doing what they want need to do you know and I think that was very helpful when I I got to work with 50 ushers because everybody had a different ushering style and a different working style and a different focus on how they perceived the job and what they were supposed to do for the job so it was a lot of fun but honest to God scheduling was a lot of work because I wanted to make sure that everybody was in a position that they would flourish in that I didn't have to micromanage or yell and that uh, you know that that ultimately, at the end of the day, everybody left feeling like they did a good job because that moralizes people. I feel like I was successful. One of the things that was told, me, told to me that in prior years, and they, they said, oh yeah, once you hit like mid-July, you're going to have to hire about 10 or 15 more ushers because what happens is people get burnt out and they leave. They just looked like this job's not for me. It's too hard. I'm not having fun, whatever it is. And they split. And that was not in fact, the case with me. In fact, I only brought in one mid-season hire, and that was not because I needed him. It was because he could only come. You know, he was a returning usher and could only come mid-season. He turned out, Carson turned out to be another one of my best ushers. He focused, got the job done, great attitude, super super kid. Um, so, yeah, working with 50 ushers was very interesting, but I, I, I think I did a pretty nice job, and I enjoyed, more importantly than anything else, I enjoyed working with them, trying to keep things upbeat, trying to keep things fun, trying to always have a sense of humor about everything that went on. I also made sure, and this is I think a a, a standard management thing for me, is, and I told them this, and I believe this, if they made a mistake, if they blew it, if they fucked up in some way, that was on me. That was because either I did not help them, I did not train them, or I did not prepare them for it, if they fucked up, that was my fault, and I would take that heat. If they succeeded, that was all on them. If, that was, you know, if, they, if they knocked it out of the park, if they got a compliment from somebody, that was all about them. And I believe that a great manager does that. Let's listen to a little bit more Sharon, and then we'll close this thing out.
0: So, um depending on the ushers and we all pretty much are uh approachable we are all pretty much uh here for you but um uh, just speaking for myself i am a peace a people person and i do go beyond uh just regular ushering sometimes i even have a conversation about something that i don't even know about but i believe at that time that particular patient patron just wanted to talk, and just like Jay said, sometimes you're a therapist or something, you know, because some people can just come up and just start talking about something about the clear blue, and I'm like, okay, because regardless, we are here not just to, you know, show people. We are here to represent Grand Park Music Fest. We're here to represent my hometown, Chicago, born and raised, and you... Catch more flies with honey than you do with
1: vinegar. And that is peculiar journeys, episode fifty, Millennium Park stories. You met uh, Sharon Summers, and she's a wonderful, wonderful person. As you can tell, she had a lot of fun in the park, and she has a lot of fun attitude. Um, we'll hear from more of the ushers uh, that you've heard from uh, and heard about, and uh, that's that's this episode. That's all we've got today. I do want to encourage you, as I always do, if you enjoy Peculiar Journeys and you're enjoying this uh, specific season, um, please recommend it to somebody. Just in passing, uh, on your blog, on your social media, share it around. I'd really appreciate that. If you really enjoy it, go to Apple Podcasts, uh, subscribe to it, and then review it. Give me a little bit of review, a little bit of feedback. It's always nice. And if you really, really like it, Go to Patreon.com slash Peculiar Journeys and consider becoming a VIP patron. Uh, You get to see the videos. There's some special stuff. There's some writing that I do because I do a lot of writing as well as the Peculiar Journeys. So with that in mind, thank you very much. And you'll hear from me next week. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys.